0: So we're actually going to read all of chapter two, and this has 21 verses in it, so you can track in your word, or you can track here on the wall uh, if you'd like to this morning. It says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. You've got Paul, you've got Barnabas, and you've got Titus. I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. So you've got kind of these Paul, Barnabas, and Titus meeting with some other apostles, religious leaders, who were to the Jewish people, all right? So two different camps, same grace, and Paul's trying to help them see that. Um, I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. And so we didn't give in to them for a moment, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Those who were held in high esteem, they added nothing to my message." On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Same God, same grace, working itself out in same ways to different people. So James, Cephas, also Peter there, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. And they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. And so when Cephas came to Antioch, right, so this is later, Peter went away, now he's come back, I opposed him, this is Paul, to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, this group of people from James, then now you've got Peter beginning to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. So who did Paul come with to Jerusalem earlier? All right, Titus and Barnabas. And so now you've got even Barnabas who was with Paul being led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You're a Jew, and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? You as a Jew aren't following Jewish customs. Why are you asking Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. And I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. All right, so here it is this morning. We're going to work our way primarily from verse 5 to verse 14, but we'll also address Verse 21, as we make our way through this text here, but trying to understand grace-based relationships. What does this look like? Okay? How is it that we're to interact with other people? So, specifically here, you've got a believer, Paul, writing to believers in Galatia. So, let's note that right up front. Uh, Should we be gracious to people that don't believe in God? Should Christians still extend grace to those who believe there is no God? Absolutely. Okay, so this doesn't limit us in our grace. It's not just only love or show grace to those who are part of the brotherhood. Uh, But this is specifically here. Like a grace-based relationship, it means we're both working from the same foundation. You're working off grace. I'm working off grace. That's the the connector within our relationship. Uh, And therefore, I want to see how this works itself out. So three things we'll highlight if you want to follow along. You can. If you want to write these down, you're welcome to. You don't have to whatsoever. Um, for me I'm a writer I'm an outliner and so it helps me stay engaged helps me pay attention when I've got a pen in my hand Um, you may not be like that whatsoever Uh, but nonetheless here we go as we embrace grace is how we're gonna address this lay down the law embrace grace as we embrace grace we're initially gonna preserve the truth of the gospel for other people as you and I grace-based relationships if you're under grace and I'm under grace grace grace-based relationships as we function In relationship with one another, we're preserving the truth of the gospel for other people. So Paul's a little bit upset here, right? People snuck in the church and the purpose for them to be in that gathering was to see how they could get them enslaved again. They're talking about freedom in Christ. Like they're not obeying the Jewish laws. So we're going to try to get them enslaved. Like you got to become basically a Jew before you can ever be right with God. And Paul's going to work to address that here this morning. Uh, and so to be right with God, they thought that they had to follow the law. You know, I recently read about this in a way that really helped me make sense of this. And the picture, the word picture was that of a, of a train track. And so kind of picture a, a train track as God's way of bringing us into right relationship with Him. Uh, it's kind of our growth of um, sanctification, not only being justified but this process of growing. And so God gave the, initially here the idea of us obeying Him as, as a train track. So the engine then would be grace, all right? You've got to have an engine on a train track, right? If you and I are train cars and there's no engine, where do we go? Nowhere. And so we need something to tug us along, to pull us along. So the engine here, the power of the Spirit that we sung about today in Christ alone, the power of that Spirit is in the grace of God, which is the engine on our train track, okay? The coupler that connects the grace train, the grace engine to us is faith, alright? So when we put our faith in this so-called grace engine, then God's able to pull us along this track of obedience where we're initially saved and then we're growing in the likeness of Christ. And so that would be a grace-based relationship, right? The only way we're moving is through what? Grace. Okay, just making sure you're tracking with me. No pun intended. All right? Now, what the Jewish people were doing in turn was taking that train track, so um, the railroad ties, the track itself, the nails, and if, so to speak, if they could, they were picking it up off the ground and leaning it up against the door of heaven. And so now it has become a what? If you picked up a train track and looked at it, it could look like a ladder. Right, And so now the grace-based engine is not on this anymore because it's a train. Now the only way to get from earth to God is to climb the ladder of good works. Right? That's the law. That's what the law teaches. The only way to get with God is you've got to be perfect. And the law is supposed to help us see that we're not perfect. Right, That's what it's there for. None of us have ever been able to keep every aspect of the law. We've proven that since... We've probably cried our first cry. Uh, And yet so often that's where we find Christians. We've taken the grace-based engine off the track. We've picked up the track, leaned it against the doorway of heaven and thinking I'm going to climb the ladder by my own efforts and I'm going to be made right with God and anybody else that's going is going to have to climb this same ladder. Does that sound biblical? No, but that's what was going on here in kind of a word picture. Okay, you won't, find a train in your Bible. Like, man, pastor's coming up with some odd stuff here. It's not in your Bible. It's just a word picture. Hopefully that can help make some sense of what was going on here uh, in, in this text. And so what I like here is that Paul knew this. Like he recognized it instantly. All right, let's go back to verse 5 here if we can. See what he says. All right, they'd picking up grace, laid it aside. Now they're trying to work their way to God. Asking other people to do the same. And Paul says this. We did not give in to them for what? A moment. We didn't give in to them for a moment. Like we didn't play this game with them. We didn't get sucked in. We weren't connived. Their scheming didn't work on us. We weren't going to lay down grace and pick up the law. No, we had already laid down that law trying to earn our way to heaven by being good. And now we're going to trust in grace. That grace train. It's the only engine that can get us not only... Saved in a right relationship with God, but also progress us in becoming like Christ. And so Paul believed something here. He believed he had a role to play. And to me, I see it right here in this text, all right? We didn't give in to them for a moment. Why didn't we give in for a moment? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for whom? For you. See, Paul believed he had a real mission. Like, if he didn't follow Christ, if he had given in to these schemers... Then he was polluting the gospel. He wasn't preserving the gospel, he was polluting it. He was making it less than like a cheap version of grace. He said, We didn't give into that for a moment because we've experienced grace. We laid down the law, we've embraced grace. We're not going back to that old ladder. And we're going to see Paul's going to address Peter here for this very reason. All right? We'll get into this a little bit later here this morning as well. But this is Paul to Peter. Uh, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas or Peter in front of them all. Why is Paul going to confront Peter? Because Peter is polluting the gospel. Peter, who had experienced grace, is laying it aside, and now he's going to ask people to try to climb this ladder that the Jewish people felt was correct, to be right with God and to also establish right relationships with with one another. See how it worked for them was, if you're not going to climb the ladder, you and I are not going to be family. If you're not working, showing effort, trying to make your way to God, not only can you not be right with God, you and I can't be right either. And so I'm going to have nothing to do with you. That's a law-based relationship. Holding you to a standard that they themselves couldn't keep. And Paul addresses that here in his letter as well. I saw that he wasn't acting in line with the gospel and so I spoke up. All right, so we're talking about the gospel here. What is the gospel? The gospel is good news, right? But for there to be good news, there has to be, there's got to be something on the opposite end of that. There's got to be bad news. If there's no bad news, it's just news, all right? And it's not worth talking about. What makes the gospel good news is that there is really bad news. The bad news is you and I have what? We've sinned and our sin has separated us from God. The standard, the latter is perfection, all right, And we're missing a few rungs on our ladder of perfection. You know, For me, I can't get past rung number one. Because I've already proven that there's no way I could climb any way up that ladder. I'm a wretch. I'm a mess on my own. And so as sinful people, we've been separated from God. And there's no remedy for that on our own. Right? That's bad news. What makes the gospel good news is that God saw us in a desperate way. He saw us as wretches, as the greatest sinners ever, as we talked like a month ago. And he gave us the remedy. He rescued us. He gave us the opportunity to be redeemed or reconciled in his son Jesus. Right? That's the good news of the gospel. The standard has been met and his name's Jesus. And he came and lived a sinless life. Perfection. Right? That's what the gospel requires. He was perfect. Satisfied God's demand. Perfect. And then he died and he shed his blood. And we've sung about that today and we've read about it as well. Through the cross. So the good news of the gospel is that the greatest sinners ever can be made right with God through faith in Jesus. And that's all made possible through the gift of grace. It's the engine that drives. It's the engine that pulls. It's the engine that transforms. So God gave Jesus who would ultimately give himself. We read this as well. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Okay, the only way Paul could live is he had to die. He had to die to the law, right? It's not a law-based relationship. We've proven we can't sustain that. God says, be perfect. And we say back, no. You want to be right with me? You got to be perfect. We say, we can't. Paul says, I died to that law that demanded me to be perfect so that I could live for God. How is that made possible? Verse 20, because I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. All right? This is where grace-based relationships begin. It's through the good news of the gospel. It's through the power of the cross. It's through the perfect, sinless sacrifice of the Son that anybody can be made right with God. We preserve the truth of the gospel for others when you and I live embracing grace and laying down the law. Right? When it becomes you got to dress a certain way, you got to read a certain translation of the Bible, you got to sing certain songs and meet on a certain day, you got to support certain ministries, and if you don't, I'm out. We become law-based people. I'm not law-based. All right, I'm not law-based. I don't ever want to go back there. I can lean that direction in my sinful nature. I want to be grace, under grace, and I want to live in grace towards other people. Being grace-based, not law-based. For that to happen, we've got to lay it down. Now, there are people coming behind us who need us to preserve what's true, right? There are people within this church, young children. There are people in our families, young children, who are coming along who need people like you and I today to live in grace-based relationships with God the Father and with one another. So, we can preserve what's true of the gospel, the good news, for others. Because they're going to fall under the same thing, right? They're going to know they're a a great sinner and they're going to need a great Savior. And if we not only teach that, but if we model that with our life, we preserve the gospel for them so a great sinner can find a great Savior and ultimately find a right relationship with God. So, embracing grace, it's a simple truth. Everybody needs it, everybody has sinned, it's available for everyone, is what we believe. Um, and we definitely want to preserve this by how we treat one another. All right, secondly here, as we embrace grace, we're going to partner with those who have received the same grace. As we embrace grace, we partner with those who have received the same grace. Now, for me, this would have been a great time to be alive on the planet Uh, for multiple reasons. It would have been a terrible time to be on the planet as well. My wife was watching a movie yesterday or last night and had people living in these little, like, huts made out of wood, like there was no heat, no air conditioning, and, I mean, there was no plumbing, like you had to go to the well to get water, and you had to wash your clothes down in the creek, and you had to cook outside over an open fire, like, I like that maybe for a weekend, you know, I'm like a once every ten year camper, okay, I like luxury, and by luxury, I mean indoor plumbing, I like having a faucet in the house. I like being able to hit a button and getting cool, whether it's in my car or in my home or getting warm, right? And so I like that way of living. So there's some things I wouldn't want to go back to. But in this time frame, this would have been beautiful, right? This would have been beautiful. And here's one of the reasons why. Their aim here, when you've got Jews, Gentiles, their aim was not to highlight their distinctives. Their aim was not to highlight why we're different or why what we believe is better And why what you believe is wrong. This was all about a partnership under grace. So was there a name on the door of the building they were meeting in? No, they were a church. Was there a denominational affiliation? No, I'm not against denominations. In some ways they help us. Define who we are, in some ways they divide us, where we don't want to associate with other people who are under the same grace. And so Paul's going to introduce this idea here of if the grace is the same, the Lord is the same, the Spirit's the same, the body's the same, then we're partnered together. And we've got to be partnered together. I can't tell you why you're wrong. It's not my job to tear you down. We can work together through secondary issues. But I've got to be able to partner with people who have differences than I have. And so here's what he says. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message, this message of grace. On the contrary, they recognized that I'd been trusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. Just as Peter had been to the circumcised. So... Peter, James, and John are starting to come to this realization that what's in me is also in them. How can this be? We thought God was the God of the Jews. We thought you had to follow the dietary laws and the ceremonies and the rituals to be made right with God. And the grace was just kind of the icing on the cake. No. What's in you is in me. Hmm. For God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. So what happens here? You've got this meeting of leaders, right? And they're realizing the grace that they're experiencing is the same grace that we've experienced. right? So even though they had some differences, they were ironing those out by offering a right hand of fellowship. Right hand of fellowship. So what's that mean? When you you look that up, that literally means that we are, it's a heart of communion. It's a heart of partnership. It's a heart that understands we're vastly different, and yet we are under the same grace and they're willing to cooperate under the same grace so listen we can talk about man it it may be hard to to deal with a different denomination we could have issue here there's no bigger issue on the planet than jew gentile they just didn't associate jews thought they were better they thought gentiles were dogs gentiles thought jewish people were hypocrites and they would never want anything to do with them and now here you've got the leader of leaders of one movement, movement of grace, in two different directions coming together going, and we're partnered. We're partnered together. This is huge. This is monumental in the early church. It sets a precedent for how you and I today need to function with people who have, may have differences on secondary issues, but still cling to the same gospel of grace. You know, here today we get photo ops, right? You'll see... President Trump in a picture with another leader, world leader of the country, and they're smiling while they're shaking hands. And then when the photo goes away, it's right. It's, that's a photo op. I don't really like you. I don't really like you, but for the sake of peace, we're going to smile so they can put it on a blog or a website or a newspaper, and then everybody's going to think it's okay. No, this wasn't just a photo op. This was reality. There was a merging of souls here through the right hand of fellowship. There was an embrace of grace. Now, were their ministries different? You betcha. Right? Were the Gentiles worried about what they were eating? No, they didn't worry about what they were eating. Were they worried about what they were drinking? They didn't worry about what they were drinking. They weren't worried about what they were wearing. They, would, they didn't have the traditions of religion that the Jewish people had. Were Jewish people concerned about what to eat and not eat? Absolutely. And what to wear and who speaks when and who doesn't get to speak and what we do on what specific days and what we don't do on other. They had all sorts of laws. So the grace that would be going to two different directions would have to work itself out within those different worldviews. But it's the exact same grace. So there's got to be partnership where there's grace. And here we see that very clearly. The right hand of fellowship. A big deal. Jew-Gentile being connected in heart, in partnership. Basically, they're saying, I can support you. I'll back you 100%. We're the same team. Right? We may have different ministries and different ways that this works out with the people that we're serving. However, we're under the same grace. So we need to lay down the law and embrace the grace that unites. You know, Sometimes it's a struggle to do this. But remember verse 21, Paul said, I will not, all right? I will not set aside the grace of God for any reason to go back to some other way of living. See, when I'm anything less than grace based towards other people, and when I'm unwilling to partner with others who are under the same grace, what I'm literally doing is setting aside the grace of God, asking you to abide by my law. Paul says, no, no, no. I will not set aside grace. Grace. I will not set it aside. Neither can we this morning. Partner with those who've received the same grace. We might as well. We're forever family. Right? That's what we're working towards. Can we have differences? Sure. Can those differences show up in how people gather and meet? Sure. Is it all good? Absolutely not. It's the world that we live in. That's how it is. Third, as we embrace grace, we're going to work to protect the spiritual good of others. Listen, if I'm willing to set aside the grace of God and not serve you, I could care less about the spiritual good in your life, and I just want to judge you. I want to evaluate you. You don't measure up to my interpretation. You don't meet the law in the way that I see it. Therefore, I'm not going to show any grace to you. Go away from me. And yet you don't see that here In the text, for me to show grace to you, I've got to experience it. That's number one. I've got to understand that you're under the same grace that I'm under, partnership. And now I've got to seek your spiritual good. Works to seek the spiritual good of other people. So grace-based relationships are never willing to turn a blind eye to a fellow believer. So what that means is where I see you struggle and where you see me struggle, I need a grace-based friend who can speak what's true to me. I'll make you a promise here this morning. Every one of us in this room, I promise you, has a blind spot. If we think we're perfect, we're way off base. If we think we don't need a close friend who can speak life truth to us, we're highly foolish. I need people close to me who can say, Pastor, what are you thinking here? Why do you interpret that that way? Or why are you living this out? Like this doesn't seem grace-based. This seems a little bit selfish. Sometimes we like to live right here. Hi, how you doing? I can say nice things to you right here. And we can be polite. Have a great day. Hope you have a great week. But when we take the hands down and ask people to get close, man, it's going to get a little bit ugly. Let you in on a little secret. I'm a sinner. And so are you. And there's some ugliness in us that's got to be rooted out. And I need you to help root that out in me. It's what we see here. You don't see Paul praying and saying, God, you've got to deal with Peter. you just got to go talk to him. We're going to see Paul working for the spiritual good of his grace-based partnership. Totally different ministries. Same God, same Lord, same baptism, same faith, same body, same Christ. Same grace. When Cephas came to Antioch, what's Paul going to do? I opposed him to his face. You ever wanted to oppose somebody to their face? (laughs) You know you do, all right? You've had that moment where you're, maybe it was after the fact. Boy, I wish I would have said this. This would have really dug in good, right? Now that's totally not what Paul's saying here. But you could read it that way if you wanted to. I opposed, I got in his face and I told him what was up. This is what I thought of him. He was wrong and I laid it out in front of everybody. That's the attitude we'd like to read into this sometimes. That's not at all what Paul's after. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Why? Because he stood condemned. It's Broken. For before certain men came from James, all right? So you've got, there's some Jewish people who are going to come. But before these Jewish people came, uh, Peter used to eat with us. He used to eat with the Gentiles. Like it was no big deal. I'll eat with the Gentiles eat. I'm fine with that. But when these Jewish Christians started coming into town, when they arrived, and now you got Peter beginning to draw back and he separated himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. And when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow these Jewish customs? What's happened here? I mean, just a few verses prior, and obviously there's time between when the handshake took place and this second meeting, or this next meeting. But there was this extension of partnership in the gospel, and now I'm I'm withdrawing my hand. Because my people have come in, and they view things a little bit differently than you, and if they see me eating with you, that's not going to be good. And so i got to connect back with my people. And so he's got a twisted view of the law again, thinking that in some way if you do the right things, you're pleasing God, and that he's going to grant you favor because you're climbing the right ladder. But then you've got all these other people deceived. You know, initially when you read this, you might think, well, why didn't Paul just pull Peter aside and talk to him individually? What do we read? Because you've got all these people. All these Jews are acting the same way, hypocritical. And even Barnabas is being led astray. They're all a bunch of hypocrites right now. And so he's going to talk to the leader of the people in front of the people. He's addressing it not just to Peter. Peter but to everyone. So when you read from that verse on, verse 11 on through verse 21, it's just a conversation between Paul and Peter with these other hypocrites listening in. He's trying to remind Peter of the grace that you've received and the law that you laid down. So what does Paul do? He did what people in grace-based relationships do. Number one, he was concerned. We've read that, right? I opposed him to his face because he was condemned, which meant Paul was concerned. Like, Peter, you can't live this way, right? We're under the same grace. I love you, brother. We're partnered. We're forever family, right? We're united in ways that this blood and this world could never separate. So I'm concerned about you. There's a depth to his heart towards Peter here. And so it wasn't just, ah, go live how you want. I'm not going to say anything about it. Or it wasn't just God, I pray for him, you got to do something there. Paul knew that it was his role to try to reach out, love, and support, and help build and correct the error of Peter. So he's deeply concerned. We also see there that he approached him to his face, right? So we live in a world where we can handle things quickly, right? And if I wanted to get a message to you right now, I could pull out a phone. And a lot of you in this room, I could just text it to you real quick, right? Anywhere in the world. And we can send letters and we can send email. I mean, we can just communicate very quickly. The problem with that sometimes is we communicate quickly without thinking. I have a thought, but I don't think it through. And so I da-da-da-da-da-da send. And then there's issue. And so what I love here, a good principle to practice. When you have something that is important to talk to somebody about face-to-face. Then I can look in your eyes and you can look in mine. I can hear the tone in your voice and you can hear the tone in mine rather than da 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 send. Because I don't know what you meant. And man, I've had that happen to me more than once where I was like, I wonder, what do they mean here? What's the intention of this text? And the tone that I read in this email, it sounds a little bit hard or harsh or aggressive. And then I talk to him about it. I was like, that didn't mean that way at all. Went to his face. Concerned, went to his face, and he spoke up to him. He's going to have this conversation. And he's talking the whole, right there, those 10 or 11 verses. Peter, you're a Jew, but you remember following the law didn't save us. Even as Jewish people, we've got to come to Christ, or come to God through Christ. It's still about faith in the grace of Jesus, just like it is for These Gentile people you call sinners. It's the same thing. And so why would you lay aside the grace and pick up again the law? Remember, we're crucified with Christ. We don't live any longer. It's Christ who lives in us. So remember that he went to that cross because he loved you and he gave himself for you. So don't set aside the grace of God. Because it's all you've got. He's calling. He's reaching. He's trying to demonstrate what it looks like to be in a grace-based relationship with somebody and listen this has got to be our approach as well so when you see me or you hear me and something in my words and my walk doesn't measure up with what's true in the scriptures then I need a conversation face to face from you not a confrontation right I've been in some of those as well that are not grace based you know Let me tell you this, 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 and if you don't do this, 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 then I'm out. Sinful Corey says, adios. That's not me caring about that person. See, grace-based relationships say, I'm sticking. Right, So you come to me and say, hey, Pastor, man, I'm just wondering, like, what did you mean by this? Or when I saw this in you, this just didn't seem to line up with what's true. Like, can you help me understand that? And then just remind me, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not at you. I'm not against you. We're on the same team. We're partnered under the same grace. We're on the same mission. So I'm not trying to dig at you. I'm trying to build you. I'm just trying to figure out what's going on here. Like, maybe this is a blind spot in your life. You just don't see it right now. I need that. But I'll never get that like this. Neither will you. This means at arm's length, by the way. So we've got to be willing to be open See how weak I am. See my inadequacies. See my sinful tendencies. And be willing to speak life, truth, grace to me to help me. Rather than just yada, yada, yada and I'm out. Grace that's embraced works to protect the spiritual good of others. And specifically here we're talking about those who believe so you and I are interconnected. And I have a responsibility, as do you. Like, sometimes those can come across as, you know, that's not a pleasant conversation. I've said it many times. I don't need these kind of people in my life. Just always pat you on the back. You know, the photo ops, they smile at you. Hey, have a great week. And then it's just like, I need people in my life who will love me in spite of who I am. And newsflash headlines, so do you. We need to allow that in, otherwise we're fools. One of the great partnerships of the church is that people can see our life and speak what's true and not walk away from us. Loving people in spite of people. We'll get to that next week. Today it's just about loving people or dealing graciously with people, sticking, even though we may have differences. So I need to lay down the law sometimes. And I would imagine you do as well. And I don't mean this is how it's going to be or get out. And I don't mean, hey, let's just go crazy. I mean, I need to show you grace. And grace upon grace, just like it's been lavishly poured all over me. There's no bucket that's ever going to run dry towards me. There should never be a bucket that I have that runs dry towards other people. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace till I quit breathing. May I show you grace. So we've tried to look at what it means to lay down the law. And we've seen the law doesn't save us. And it doesn't help us build these grace-based relationships. However, when we live in this grace, it can help preserve what's true for other people. It shows us that we can partner with people. Now, not with people who teach things that are contrary to what's true. If somebody says the only way you can be right with God is you've got to work your way to heaven. Then we would have a conversation about that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? And so I understand why some would say, well, this will be the name of our group and this will be the name of our group because we think differently. That seems to be unbiblical. This seems to be biblical. I get part of that. What I'm saying is where there's a different name on the sign but we're under the same grace, then you're my brother and you're my sister. And our ministries may be different and we may have different interpretations or views but we're forever family and I want to live that way. And grace is also going to look after the spiritual good of other people. It means it's willing to be burdened to the point of having a conversation, gracious conversation, to try to build a person, letting them know I'm going nowhere. I'm not running out on you. I may be angry, but that's going to subside. I will forgive you. Remember last week we said we've got to go ahead and make up our mind. We will always forgive, always. There should never be anything on this planet we'd never forgive. How you treat my wife, how you treat my children, how you treat me, what you say about me, what other people say about me, all forgiven. Not that you've said or done any of that. That's towards anybody on the planet. That's my heart and attitude towards people. I'll always forgive because I'm always forgiven. Grace-based relationships work to protect the good of other people. And so what I just wonder here as we close today, guys, is, number one, have you experienced this grace? The grace that comes from Christ? Are you trying to earn your way to God's forgiveness by being a good person? So I do my homework, and I'm kind to my parents and my siblings, and I work hard at my job and my neighbors think well of me and I attend a church you know, somewhat regularly or none of that stuff makes us right with God. It's all grace, faith in the grace that's been poured out to us through the blood of Jesus. Maybe you'd like to receive Christ today as your Savior. His promise is He'll save you if you'll call out to Him. And maybe you're on the flip side of that. You say, yeah, I know that I'm saved already. Okay, then what is... The grace-based relationships, what are the grace-based relationships in your life like? Is there somewhere where we need to extend grace? Is there somewhere where we need to put down the, the arm and say, man, I need people to get close to me. And they're not going to like what they see, but they're going to help build me because they love me. And I'm going to see that they're just like I am. Broken, sinful, needy, and they found the same source for everything they need in the grace of Jesus.